Canes Country Podcast. There is a lot going on right now in hockey uh, and a little bit going on that pertains to the Hurricanes. My name is Brett Finger, of course. Joining me is Andrew Schnicker and Ryan Hankel. How are you guys doing? Doing good. I'm doing great. Yeah, it's uh, there's been a lot to talk about. It's um, it's after 6 p.m., which, given the theme since free agency opened, means there's going to be like five more signings by the time we get to the end of this podcast. But mm-hmm. yeah, that has been the theme uh, so far. Late, late day into the evening signings out of nowhere. So I'm sure we'll break some news here as as the episode goes along. Um. Before we get to all the crazy stuff, let's start with uh, the announcement for Justin Williams this week that he is indeed uh, retiring from the NHL. Uh, obviously, the Hurricanes lose a lot of leadership um, with him deciding to, to call it quits right now. Uh, obviously, a distinguished hockey career from him, Mr. Game 7. Um so yeah, Justin Williams is no longer playing in the National Hockey League. Thoughts? I'm not surprised by him retiring at all. I really thought he was going to. I'm surprised pleasantly so by the fact that he made his decision so early because I think that's better, definitely better, I think, for the team not to kind of have that, you know, will he or won't he thing lingering through the whole offseason and even into training camp. Um, you know, I think Justin Williams came here to kind of help put the Hurricanes back on the map. And, I mean, he did that. There was the interesting, we'll call it, decision to not make him captain his first year that we don't need to get into. But Rod Brindamore rectified that. I mean, you look at his leadership um, in that playoff run, that you know, that first year getting back to the playoffs as captain. So I think he accomplished his mission that way with putting the Hurricanes back on the map. And two, I think he was here long enough as a leader that, you know, a lot of the younger players on the team learned enough things about that from him that, while yes, his leadership will be missed, I think there are guys that are ready to step up and take that mantle because they played with him and they got to know him and they got to see him and they got to learn from him. Yeah, Justin Williams arrived at the right time to help fix the ship. And I think he's done a great job of bringing that leadership quality, that winning factor to the hurricanes. Like we see it in the room. A lot of times all the guys want to win and it's just Williams arrived and he, he instilled the winning virtue back. He helped fix that culture. Him and Brennan Moore together really helped to reinforce that culture that they had back when they won the cup in 2006. I think it's, you know, it's a sad time to see a legend in the game retiring but it's also one where it makes sense at the time. The team is good enough now. They have all the young guys know what it takes to be a leader. They've watched Williams. They've learned from him. And I think now we see what the team can – we saw kind of what they could do without him because last year there was the uncertainty. But now they're officially – they know this is now what they have to do to lead completely. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely a big loss in, in a lot of – in a lot of ways, uh, I agree with you, uh, Andrew, that it's good that he did this now. Um, I think the Hurricanes are happy he came back last year, but the whole, you know, will he come back, when, all that stuff during the year, I mean, it was a distraction. I mean, um, it was a distraction, and 
for most players, that wouldn't be a distraction that's worth having. But for him, it was. Uh, he more than earned that for what he had done for the organization. And he came back and he, you know, he had some big moments last year. Uh, but at the end of the day, seeing how everything went down in the postseason, I think now is the time for him to to move on to what's next because uh, I, I don't think at this point he was going to be a big factor on the ice for this team. Um, yeah. So, and that's saying that all with all, so much respect to him, but now seemed like the good, like the right time to do this. And uh, I think, I, I don't think it will be long before he's back within the organization in some role. Uh, obviously I think everybody knows that and stay tuned um by the time this podcast drops it'll be later this afternoon stay tuned for some more Justin Williams content from us and an opportunity for you to provide us with Justin Williams content just a little teaser there I like it the draft as a whole is a teaser really because you're (laughs) you're you like that um it's kind of like a big infomercial for all these guys. Uh, it's it's a lot of promise. It's a lot of potential. And the Hurricanes did it again. They they went out and they picked all the good all the good ones. Um, they picked Seth Jarvis at 13th overall. They did not pick Yaroslav Askarov, who went two picks earlier to Nashville. Uh, we'll see how that all pans out for Nashville. But obviously, a guy that many were hoping Carolina would get. But they get Seth Jarvis, which is quite the consolation prize. Um, he had a big year in the WHL at the Portland Winterhawks. He's a great goal scorer. That's exciting. And perhaps even more exciting was what Carolina did with their depth picks. They picked Noel Gundler, 41. He was projected by a lot of people to be a first-round pick. Uh, Vasily Ponomarayev at 53. He was a fringe first-round grade Um and late in the draft, I think my favorite pick might have been Ronan Seeley, the 208 in the seventh round. He was a third to fourth round grade pick defenseman. Um, and it just looked like the Hurricanes were pouncing all over guys that had higher ratings than uh, you would you would think based off where they were picked. So an exciting draft. Uh, Ryan, thoughts on a, a draft that didn't necessarily have the big names attached for Carolina, but it, it looks like a really good one. There's the two things that really stand out to me with the hurricane scouting as of late is they're not afraid to draft from Europe. They've really put a lot of trust in the European scouts, especially the last two years. They've drafted five players from Europe each of the past two years. And that's something we hadn't really seen prior. It was more 75% of all draft picks were about from North America throughout the history history of since 1997 so the 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 front office is putting a lot of trust in the european scouts to go and see these kids in in europe and really evaluate their talent and the other thing is that they're not afraid to draft smaller players you know it's like noel gundler is listed as or is it no nybeck was the one listed at five six could be five eight right Mm -hmm. and so it's we see and then poshin is another smaller frame guy it's these smaller players, but they have such dramatic playmaking upside that it's it's a smart, calculated risk by Carolina, and I like that. It's instead of taking, you can get, oh, we're just gonna draft this guy. He's projected to be a, a bottom bottom six guy, but when we know he'll be a bottom six guy, these younger, smaller guys, 
can be like, a, who knows? It could be a Marty St. Louis or a Braden Point who have been some comparables. These are smaller frame players that a lot of teams shied away in drafts or for St. Louis wasn't even drafted. And they just explode on the scene and everyone's left looking. Why didn't we, why did nobody select this guy? And I think Carolina's scouting staff has done a tremendous job and the front office has to be commended for a lot, for giving them the green light to go ahead and take these smaller body players. And I really like it because these guys are smart. They have such high hockey IQ. And that's that's honestly something you really can't teach. So it's something you have to find these hidden gems for. And I, I'm really excited by the draft class. Yeah, I, I really I really like the way this regime drafts. Um, when, you know, when you're looking down the line, you can find bottom six guys with you know big frames and can do you know a specific thing pretty well and and fit in your lineup it's not as easy to find the top six guys we've we i mean we've watched this team for years you know in their search for another top six center or another top six goal scorer that's tough that's way more you know difficult to to achieve to find guys that can make that difference um, in such a you know a vastly or a very important area of, of the game, and when you can get the guys with the special skill sets, and you you take a chance on guys that maybe don't have a complete all, all around complete game, or aren't necessarily the biggest guys, but they do one or two things really well, and those two things are the most important things in the sport. Um, I, you know, they're drafting upside. They're they're doing this the right way, and it's not like <laughs> they're not taking uh, Philippe Parody in the first round anymore. They're taking <laughs> they're taking the guys who have the highest upside and the highest ceilings, um, and they've been doing that each of the past few years. And that's you know that's really encouraging because that's how you need to draft. You need to draft the most skilled players, the best players that. Trans, whose skill sets translate to the most important areas in the NHL. And that's what they've done each of the past few years. That's what they did this year. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you guys. And I think, too, I like – I agree with everything you guys said about liking the uh, the Hurricanes' mindset with these picks of, you know, going for kind of – I don't love the term boomer bust, but I've, it kind of feels like there is some of that with some of these mm-hmm. picks. Um, you know, reading, reading from um, – Matt Soma and Alex O'Hari, who do great work for Kane's prospects, reading our own analysis um, on draft day from one of our prospect writers, Sarah Avampato. I just edited a story that you guys will see Wednesday from Kevin LeBlanc, who did a really good roundup on all these prospects. And it's like, I think taking that high ceiling approach in the draft is good, but I think it's especially good given where the Hurricanes are right now as an organization where, A, you've already got a really good prospect pool and B, you've got such a good young core at the NHL level right now with guys like Aho and Svechnikov and Teravainen and Slavin and Pesci that and Natchez that you can you can swing for the fences with these picks because you know if you hit on them and then you've got other great players joining that core that's only going to make you better. But it's also like you need to hit on draft picks, but it's also not going to kill you if you don't given what the longevity that the core in place right now should have. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
what would you rather have happen? Let's just, I'm, I'm going to pull arbitrary numbers out. So if you're looking at depth picks, would you rather hit on two of 10 and those two players are top six impact players? Or would you rather hit on four of 10 and those four are mainly bottom six power forward guys uh, that fill out a lineup, maybe play penalty kill? You, you'd pick the two out of 10. Obviously, these are just arbitrary numbers. They're, there's nothing more to it than that but yeah, 10 draft picks is ron francis back yeah <laughs> um but you know you, you'd rather take the risk on those upside guys and the hurricane scouting department has earned enough trust to this point where you could be confident that a number of these guys will pan out and when they do either they fit into the lineup and their impact players or their trade pieces you know it, let's just take a name like Zion Nybeck. So let's say he develops into a good player. He was a 115th overall pick. If he surpasses that value of a 115th overall pick, which a lot of people think that he will, um, that's that's an increase in value that you have for that player. You can go out and you can fill holes on the team if Nybeck you still think is, is a little bit away and he's not going to fit perfectly into what you do, but he's developed as a prospect to the point where he's more valuable than a common fourth round pick or whatever you can use that in a trade and you you get an increase of value on that player um it's smart what they're doing um and you know it's definitely a draft philosophy that i like a lot more than say what uh, ron francis uh, was doing in, in his time as general manager so You've kind of seen the Hurricanes do that a little bit. Like, remember last year at the draft, we were all really surprised when they made every single pick that they had and didn't trade any of their picks for NHL help. But then they go out in the um, after the draft and they trade an NA, you know, a more close to being NHL ready prospect that they have, mm-hmm. like Nick Waugh, for a guy like Eric Halla who filled who filled the need when they. Uh, they had just made a bunch of high upside draft picks to kind of refill the cupboards. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the confidence of this team and their scouts because I feel like instead of making trades involving those picks, they're sitting there and they're like, okay, we can trade this pick for this, but we have a player on our board that we feel is much higher value than what we're going to be using the pick on pick on them for. So you're you're betting on yourself to be smarter than everyone else, which to this point there's reason to think that they are, um, and they're they're betting on their own knowledge and being like, okay, we we know this player. Again, let's just use Nybeck as an example. He's not a 115th overall quality pick. He is, let's say, a second round quality pick. Then in a couple of years, when he proves that he's a second round quality pick you're getting more value out of that pick than you would have had you just traded trade it at the at the draft table. So it's it's this is a confident organization that that knows what they're doing. To free agency. And teams that maybe don't know what they're doing. The <laughs> there were a lot of, you know, a lot of the big targets are out of the way. Uh Looking across, Tory Krug signed with the St. Louis Blues on the first day of free agency. Seven years, six and a half million a year. That's the same exact deal they gave to Justin Falk. <laughs> I thought that's an interesting note. Buffalo, 
signed Taylor Hall to a one-year, eight million dollar contract. This was this was sh- uh, shocking um, because you heard Nashville, you heard Boston, Columbus. Who was going to oh, get him? And it was the Buffalo Sabers for a year. Um, all signs point to the Vegas Golden Knights securing Alex Petrangelo. Um, so those were the big contracts. Before we get to the Hurricanes-related stuff, thoughts on the, the, which one of these stood out the most? I think I have. I think I know the answer, but Ryan, the biggest surprise for me, outside of the obvious. I don't know if any of us really saw Hall going to Buffalo. I was really shocked to Tory Crew going to St. Louis. Uh, from all the rumors and like rumblings I had heard and read about, St. Louis was never really like one of the names mentioned. Like it kind of makes sense because Petrangelo was leaving, uh, and so they they need to fill that hole. I just figured since they already had someone like Falk under big contract, they would try to give him at least one more year, maybe some power play time to see if he can like turn things around. Like Pareko goes up to number one, Falk goes to number two. But it seems that they're kind of moving past that, and they're just going to try to plug the whole Petrangelo left with Krug just right away. And I was just kind of, just kind of surprised that St. Louis came out of left field and just snagged him up. So that was my biggest surprise, to be honest, with the big names. Yeah, that that contract for Falk, huh? that, that, that one didn't work out. Um, <laughs> who could have seen that one coming? <laughs> right? Not I. Not I. Maybe it was the team, you know, maybe when, you know, a, a playoff team like the Hurricanes, when when they were choosing to let go of him and not give him that deal, maybe that should have been like, oh, maybe we shouldn't give him that deal since another playoff team doesn't seem to want to give him that deal. But they gave him the deal, and it did not take long for that to blow up in their faces. I think everyone expected everyone expected this to happen with Petrangelo after Falk got that deal. And it's just, I, 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 I didn't understand it. I still don't. I mean, also the Canes got a year of Joel Edmondson and Dominic Bach. Yeah. Can't argue that. Andrew. <laughs> um, I, I'll just go with the big one. Taylor Hall signing with the Buffalo Sabres. After, like you said, we had heard short-term deal with a contender. Got half of that right. Well, the he, they never right. specified what they're contending for. Draft Show lottery. me the money. I, yeah, I mean, you know, Taylor Hall knows a thing or two about draft lottery contention. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it make, A, it makes more sense when you see, okay, he found a team that was actually willing to pay him coming off a down year with a flat cap, give him eight, $8 million on a one-year deal. So he can make good money. He can probably have a big bounce-back season on Jack Eichel's wing. And if things work out in Buffalo and they have a good season and he wants to be there, he can get another big contract there. Or if he has a good season individually and they don't ha- and it, Buffalo does what Buffalo does and he doesn't want to be there, then maybe next summer, coming off a more productive s- season – Someone else is willing to pay him. So it was surprising, but when you start to think about it for both sides, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I think I tweeted yesterday. It was like, I get it. Like, absolutely. Um, this is a this is a this is a funny thing that happened. Um, however, it makes sense for all. 
uh, in you know the flat cap. He's not coming off of a great year. If the money in the term isn't there right now, you can do a lot worse than signing one year to go play with Jack Eichel and then go from there. You know, so this definitely isn't the worst case scenario for Hall. It is funny though. What I think oh, it's about- absolutely funny. I mean, you, you you see the tweet flash across your screen from Elliot Friedman, and I think it was Friedman first. Might have been Darren Dreger. I don't remember, but um, Taylor Hall is going to Buffalo, and you're like, you're kind of just like, excuse me, yeah. Which is the second um, piece of news for a player whose last name ends in that all um, for Buffalo that's made me have that reaction this off season. But <laughs> it's I like to think about like. I didn't make. I didn't understand that deal. I was like, "Why did he sign in Buffalo?" I saw one by eight million, and I just think of that that quote from the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Perch Perkins in here. Why did you sign in Buffalo? Taylor Hall. Money. I like money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moving on to the Hurricanes. So this is a little less, uh, or much less puzzling than some of the other deals. But the Hurricanes, they they were not active on day one, like Don Waddell said that they wouldn't in all likelihood. But on day two. They signed Jesper Fast to a three-year, $6 million total contract. That's $2 million a year. And he will be pretty much sliding on Jordan Stahl's line on the wing. Uh, this was a deal that, that made a lot of sense to a lot of people. A lot of people saw it coming. And, you know, you're looking at one of the best defensive forwards in hockey with great skating and a little bit of offensive punch as well. The Hurricanes are obviously very familiar with Jesper Foss because he always seems to do something in a game that makes the Hurricanes lose. So, thoughts on Jesper Fast? Yeah, his uh, his 14 points in 24 career games against the Hurricanes are his most against any team. So, there's that. No, I mean, I think, look, he brings exactly, I think, what the Hurricanes want. He's a good defensive player. He plays hard. He can chip in a few goals. He's fast. No pun intended. I Seriously, no pun intended. It's unfortunate, but he, he does bring a lot of speed. Um, or unfortunate or fortunate. We may have to set some ground rules about number of fast puns you guys are allowed to use in articles next season. But um, You won't be able to silence me, all right? I know. Brett's on, Brett's I, I on know. the fast track to passing the you know whatever number you said. If if I pass a pun rule, I'm It'll just going to go with fast. the understanding that it doesn't apply to you. But um, no, I mean it, it's good. I think he was built. I think Jesper Faust was built in a lab to a play for Rod Brindamore and b play on a line with Jordan Stahl. Um, the idea of a Fogel stall fast checking line that can just hound the puck and just make life miserable for opponents is a lot of fun. Um, the character is a big thing too. I know. I think they said he was named like the Players Player Award in for the Rangers like f- five times. Five years straight. So pretty much every year of his career. So I know in our Zoom call with him and Dom Waddell. Sunday, Waddell said that when the staff sat down before free agency and identified players that they wanted to target, he was one that they looked at. And I know from his standpoint, he's good friends with Brady Shea. Um, 
may need to be a handshake or something about that hit in the qualifying round, but that he talked to Brady a lot. Um, and it, it's a good deal for the Hurricanes too. So yeah, a lot of sense and a lot of fit all around here. Yeah, it, I think he'll be a really good fit next to Jordan on the on the third line. He's a good penalty killer. Um, really, he's a he's a really good fit with how the Hurricanes play. So it's it's pretty obvious why they went after him, especially with Justin retiring um, a couple days before. Um, it, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And the the next deal that they made, maybe not as significant, Joachim Ryan, a defenseman, uh, played with the LA Kings. He also played with the San Jose Sharks a few years back. Swedish defenseman. They signed him on a one-year, two-way contract. Um, so depth on the on the blue line, which is good. And maybe what's interesting to me is one it was interesting because I was somewhat surprised that they got him on a two-way deal considering he's been a full-time NHL over the past couple of years and he's been pretty good. Um, what's also interesting is the the future of Gustav Forsling, which may not be as interesting to some people as it is to me and I'm fully aware of that, but <laughs> he's arbitration eligible. He elected arbitration. He's a guy that kind of fits the role uh, that, that Joachim Ryan will have. So it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with him because we all know Anton Forsberg got a one-way contract last year, and that was relatively surprising to a number of people, but he got it, and I could see Forsling getting that same kind of contract. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. Thoughts on Joachim Ryan? He's a solid player. I mean, I remember his name constantly from the Sharks' old playoff runs because he was just a solid blue liner there. Just defensively responsible guy. I mean, it's nothing to, like, go crazy over. Like, if he would even make, like, Hurricanes roster, it would be, like, for a call-up for an injury because Brendan Moore is much more likely to trust a veteran on call-ups for injuries than he would be for a rookie. It's just how it is. So, I mean, I like it as a depth signing. It doesn't cost much on a two-way deal. So, I think it's just a solid defense. And even then, you can keep around the AHL help development of younger guys. I think it's just a solid solid deal. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, do you feel passionately about this signing in any way? No. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, we, we I think you and I both said this today. I think it's kind of, um, it's interesting the Hurricanes were able to get a guy who's pretty much been at the NHL level on a two-way deal. So you have really one of two options. He can be an AHL veteran, which we've talked about, and we know that that's something that the Chicago Wolves like to prioritize. Or uh, with Joel Edmondson, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, and Sammy Vatnin. Well, Sammy hasn't signed anywhere else yet, but it's not going to be here out of town. The Hurricanes need somebody to fill that seventh defenseman role, and I think Ryan is a guy who can play in your lineup in a pinch if you need him to, and you're also comfortable with him sitting for long stretches, and you would rather have him up here sitting than a guy like Jake Bean. Yeah, yeah, he fits he fits that role well. And, you know, he makes positive defensive impacts, and, you know, last year he was in a top-four role, and he actually performed pretty well, which is, I mean, I was kind of surprised that he got a two-way deal after the year he had and the past couple of years he's had, so... Uh, definitely good value for the Hurricanes looking for a guy who can fill in and be that extra guy. 
uh, speaking of such, uh, a couple of old friends are, are moving on to, to other places. Trevor Van Riemsdyk signed a one-year deal with Washington, and Lucas Walmark signed a one-year deal with Chicago. Um, both are, are great guys. Obviously, TVR had a really big impact in the Hockey is for Everyone movement. Um, he was an excellent ambassador, uh, a guy who really cared about the fans and cared about the message that he was helping push. And uh, for Lucas Walmark, he, obviously he was traded to Florida at the deadline of the Trocek deal, never really got the right fit there in, in Florida, just didn't work out. He was an unqualified or an unten- or non-tendered RFA that Chicago gets on a one-year deal for south of a million dollars. Thoughts on those two deals, Ryan? Um, I was, I like Walmart getting about getting like almost nearly a mil per year. I think it's a everyone's taking just these one-year deals this with the current state state of everything going on. But I think Walmart can be really good in Chicago. They're looking for more defensively responsible players. Because if you they're playing round against the Edmonton Oilers, it was who can score more. And I think adding someone like Walmart who can chip in double-digit goals but also will be like a very, very solid defensive player is going to be really, really good for a team like Chicago who's also looking more for like a younger look. And the Trevor Van Riemsdyk signing was really shocking to me because he only got 800K. Again, it's the whole the situation. A lot of people are taking less money than they would. But when someone like Jack Johnson – the Rangers pay him a million dollars. Like Trevor and Reemsek is a hands down a, a, a more reliable defensive guy than Jack Johnson is. It's been proven multiple times, but to each their own. I just think Kane's fans are going to have a little confliction about playing Washington. Uh, just, you know, hoping that maybe Van Reemsek can do well, but not wanting to do it against the Canes. Now we move on to a, a very hotly, uh, debated, uh, talked about subject, and that's goaltending. So after the first several days of free agency, the Hurricanes, who were one of who were expected to be one of the you know more influential players in the goalie market potentially, um, that didn't happen. Uh, everything shook out, and the Hurricanes stand pat with Peter Mrazek and James Reimer. Uh, according to Pierre LeBrun, the Canes had conversations about the Jacob Markstrom contract but they were not willing to go to the six by six deal that calgary was willing to go to uh, oh, nope. understandably uh brayden holpe signed in vancouver um there was some goalie movement henrik longfist went to washington so a lot weird of, yeah yeah <sighs> weird yeah um Mrazek was involved in trade rumors uh particularly with edmonton um that was a contingent on the Hurricanes finding an upgrade in net. Obviously, that did not happen. And obviously, the, the other thing is Marc-Andre Fleury, who the Hurricanes were rumored to have interest in if they could get Vegas to retain half of his cap hit. They needed another team to come in and take the other half of it, but they could not. So it looks like, as of now, that it will not be a thing that will happen. So, after it all... It's still Morazic and Reimer. Andrew, thoughts? The one thing I will say about Flurry before we start is now that we know, which I did say a big signing would break during this podcast, um, that Vegas just gave 
eight by eight point eight by seven to Alex Petrangelo, they may be even more desperate to find something for Flurry's deal. So maybe that gets revisited. But I've said multiple times that the Hurricanes could use an upgrade in net, but they were not in the same position they were in, you know, off seasons a few years ago. It was like, for the love of God, find a different goalie, see if it works. Peter Morazic and James Reimer, I think, are good, not great goalies. You, but the thing is, with that, you don't, you're not looking to upgrade and replace them at all costs. If you're not finding a clear, significant, feasible upgrade, then I think you're fine to bring both back because you know what they can give you. You know you're a playoff team. You know they both are capable of getting hot and giving you good goaltending. Are they capable of giving you the kind of sustained goaltending you need over a Stanley Cup run? Maybe not, but I I like the approach the Hurricanes took. I like Jacob Markstrom, but there's no way in hell the Hurricanes could, should, or would have given him that contract. Um, Darcy Kemper is one that we, it's like that was the hot rumor, and then that just kind of totally, like, died off. Um but yeah, other than a trade for either Flurry, if they can find that other team to take half the cap hit, or um, if the Kemper thing works back up, or maybe there was some talk about um, possibly Eunice Corpusalo in Columbus, which is a guy I would like a lot. But you know, if those are kind of my three tangible upgrade, halfway feasible moves that I would look at, and if you can't. Like it's not like the Hurricanes needed to get rid of Reimer and Morazic and go sign a guy like Corey Crawford. Like, let let's. Let, I think it's important to keep in perspective what they have in those two, and if they can't find that upgrade, then I'm totally fine with bringing them back. Yeah, I think it's important to remember Reimer was very good last year. Uh, he was. Um, Def, yeah. Morazic had you know Morazic is Morazic at this point. We know what Morazic is, and. Better have the goalie that you know, then try to go out and make a very minor upgrade on a guy that you don't know. You know what Morazic is in this system, and quite frankly, you're talking about two guys who are not only good enough to get the Hurricanes to the playoffs. They are both on contract seasons. Goalies have quite the knack for playing well in a contract season. They're the both going to be UFAs. They they are playing for their future. And if you remember back when Peter Morazic was signed, he wanted to sign a one-year deal as a prove-me contract, and he probably had some of the best goaltending that, that the Hurricanes have had in a very long time down the stretch. He was outstanding down the, down the stretch of the regular season. He was a massive, massive, massive part of the Hurricanes making the playoffs. So... I don't hate the idea of bringing both of them back in contract years, playing for their futures in the league. Um, they're in a good spot. Um, so I, I definitely don't hate hate that at all. Now I move on to what is next. Now we, we got word that four players on the Hurricanes who are restricted free agents will or have elected the the path of salary arbitration uh those hearings would be held between october 20th and november 8th deals can still be made by then but the four players are hayden flurry warren fogel 
Clark Bishop, and Gustav Forsling. Uh, the, the Hurricanes currently have $5.8 million in cap space, which will be enough to sign, in particular, Fleury and Fogel. Um, but for those reasons, there won't be a lot of cap space once those deals are signed. Do we expect anything big or difference-making to happen by the time that the season starts? I do not, but I also would not have expected the Calvin DeHaan trade or the Jake Gardner signing last summer. So, I mean, you never know with this team, but they would have to clear space. They would have to clear Nino Niederreiter or Ryan Dezingle, which that's one thing I could see them looking to try to move one of those two. Because if you look at your lineup, your top six is going to be that Ajo, Svechnikov, and Teravainen. One of those two with Trocek and Natchez. And then that pushes either Niederreiter or Dezingle basically to the fourth line, probably, which that's a lot of money to spend for a fourth liner, and it's not really a role either of them is suited to. Um, so if the Hurricanes can find a deal to deal one of them and free up a little cap, and I'm not necessarily saying even free up cap to do something, you know, you don't want to go into the season up against the salary cap, um, you know, that limits what you can potentially do at the trade deadline that limits, it, li- it limits you in a lot of ways. So I, especially if the flurry and Fogel deals push them really close to the cap, I wouldn't be surprised if the Hurricanes try to move one of those two, but in terms of a, just all the guys that they kind of already have under contract, their lineup is kind of set and B that cap space. I do not expect a- another major addition. Maybe, Maybe a goalie trade if something opens back up. Yeah, I don't see the Hurricanes really pushing the envelope with the cap they have. They're going to want to sign the players they have. And if anything, they will want to shed a little bit of salary, but they're not going to want to fill it immediately. It's going to be one of those things where they kind of like, they're not necessarily like in threat of like wanting to cut salary, but it's one of those things where Waddell said if they can save a dime here or there, they're they'll look to do it. And it's not like the Hurricanes will be downgrading anything necessarily. And it's like, will the team be as good heading to next season? It's it's essentially the same team, but you add, you know, a really good defense player in Foss on the third line. You will have a full season of Trocek as your number two center. Uh, I think Shea's offensively a lot, has a lot more upside than Edmondson did, and he couldn't be any worse defensively analytically <laughs> than Edmondson was. So I think if you look at it, uh, all in all, and like that hurricane team made the playoffs. I think it's it'll be just as good, but like they're still looking to get over that hump of you know, if you think was the deep playoff run an outlier or what is it what the team is fully capable of? It's still a question of we don't necessarily know yet where with this team. Important to point out, you're gonna get you you never had in the playoffs or down the stretch last year, you never had Brett Pesci. And you're going to get a full season of Brady Shea and hopefully a healthy Brett Pesci. Like your decor, your that top four on defense could be even better. And two, if Trocheck can settle in and recapture some of that form in Florida, and you get him as your number two center for a full season, plus maybe some growth from Martin Natchez. Like there are, there are definitely tangible, feasible ingredients for internal improvement without really bringing anybody else in. Yeah. And, you know, not having Pesci was a pretty big deal in the playoffs, like you said. And 
also like uh, Ryan said, I, I don't think Shea could be that much worse than Edmondson defensively. Um, I think Edmondson has, you know, he has like the reputation as a really good defender, but uh, in actuality, he was not very good defensively at all. He was actually one of the worst in the league. Uh, he was worse than Jake Gardner, if you believe that. Um, so bringing in a guy like Shea, who has more offensive upside than a guy like Edmondson, uh, obviously uh, we are, I'm not trying to discount the magical point extravaganza that Edmondson went on in November when he got points in six straight games and it felt like the world was falling <laughs> apart um, because of this and nothing made sense. But I, I like the upside for Shea a little bit more, uh, a lot more. And if you're talking about Gardner Flores, your third pairing, again, I think you're you're looking pretty good. Fast is a really good add. Um, and I, I, I think Nino Niederreiter will bounce back. Uh, he's too good. Uh, his, his underlying numbers, his analytics were still strong last year. Uh, it's just about having the confidence and putting the puck in the net. And if he does, if he gets off to a good start, then I think that pretty much that helps him a lot moving forward. And if not, it's, it's, you can, you can still wiggle around a little bit and see what you can do. But, uh, I like where the hurricanes are at. So, well, that's, that's the thing. If you, you've got two, if you go into this season with both Niederreiter and Dezingle, you should be able to get one of them to bounce back. And like, if you get yeah. one of them to bounce back to what they can be, then you don't need a top six forward, really. Yeah. I mean, it, exactly. If, if one of them bounces back and plays the way they did in 2018-19, then you're looking really strong as a top six offensively. And the bottom six definitely serves their purpose. So, yeah, I think I'm with you on that. So, before we wrap this up, we do have Twitter questions this week. Uh, if you ever have questions for the Canes Country podcast, go on Twitter at Canes Country. At us, and maybe your uh, your questions will be featured on the podcast. So, start with this first one. Um, this is a question that over the past several weeks, the Darcy Kemper question has been a lot, has been featured a lot. But we'll have uh, was this week week seventeen edition of when are the Canes trading for Darcy Kemper? Um, this looks unlikely now. It looked like there was Never. a shot of that, and now it looks like that's probably not going to happen. Never. Never. It's like we said, man, it's it's the trade crush. It never works out. Yeah. This is questions from Shlomo, who um, also asked us about Nikolai Ehlers again, who we've already given our thoughts on that one. But, uh, it, it you know, that player, it seems like that the Hurricanes, everybody talks about it making sense for them to go get and that all the fans want. It almost never ha- It almost never ends up actually happening. I mean, it was Matt Duchesne for, like, 27 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and now you've got Ehlers, you've got Kemper. I don't, you know, I mean, there's nothing that says it can't still happen. I mean, like, the, the idea was trading Reimer plus to Arizona for Kemper. So, like, if that's something that still interests two teams, that's something you could still look at. But based on what LeBron said and the fact that that whole Kemper chatter has gone pretty much dead, I, I don't see it happening. What will a Andre Svechnikov bridge deal look like? That's a good one. Um, it is. Because if you project I, like a... No, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say, 
I would say I would just you can go through the deep dive. My guess is three years between six seven mil. Same thing Braden Point got. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you if you can get him to do under seven for three years, I'd be ecstatic. I would expect if we're looking at six and a half, I would think two years. That's what uh, my guess was going to be. I was going to say two years, six and a half mil a year. Yeah, that's because by that after the next two years. Like, if the next two years for Andrei Svechnikov after this upcoming year go as they should, he's going to be in a position to make bank. He's going to, um, if, if it goes the way that we all think it can go, and he he could be the highest paid player on the team. Which, by that point, you're hoping that, you know, and I would hope to God that in three more years, you know, everything is back to normal finance-wise with the league and the cap is back to rising. Um, maybe rising a lot, depending two on cups. what happens with the <laughs> TV, de- the new TV deals. Um, Svetch is a back-to-back uh, Con Smythe winner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think it looks something like that. And this is this is a top a topical one. Extremely topical. Yeah. If Alex Petrangelo gets a deal around eight million dollars, do you think Dougie will follow? And as we've Back- been recording this podcast, uh, Petrangelo got a seven-year contract worth eight point eight million a year from the Vegas Golden Knights. So. Yeah, that, that question could not get more topical if it tried. Shlomo, uh, good work, my man. So, so what do we think? Do, does does Dougie get a deal soon? I mean, obviously, this is the this is the deal that everybody was waiting for with regards to Dougie, and and whether you know what, what to expect from that kind of contract. And now we have the contract; it's finally here. Um, it seems like that's going to be the the baseline and they'll go from there in negotiations. Yeah. Brian, I, um, yeah. Brian did a really good article projecting what long-term deals for both Svechnikov and Hamilton might look like. And I think he projected between eight and 9 million with Hamilton. And I've looked, I did a dive looking at what the flat things would look like with the flat cap for next year. And, a, and I, my projection even had a higher number for Svechnikov. So especially if that's a lower number for Svechnikov and you look to at some of the bargain deals the Canes have, like even with the flat cap, the Canes can do like between eight and nine million for Dougie. Like it, I, it's, it's feasible. And if he picks up where he left off last year, it's worth it. Yeah, I... I think the question is now, how soon does that happen? And I wouldn't be surprised if it's still a little bit away. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they decide to wait and see how the start of the year goes, and then they do it. Um, but I mean, I guess anything can happen, right? Yeah, I would. I think I would still be somewhat surprised, just especially because you want to see with a full off season to recover and training camp and all that, and then started this. You want to see what Dougie really looks like. Um, mm-hmm. Although he looked good, I thought, against Boston. Um, you want to see what he really looks like post-injury. So I would be somewhat surprised if that deal – if that deal gets done prior to the season starting, I think it's because, for whatever reason, Dougie ends up being willing to take – Take a little bit of a discount. Somewhat, let, taking a little bit of a discount, and the Hurricanes are like – yeah, let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. Let's do it. Which, if anyone would look a gift horse in the mouth, it would probably be Tom Dundon, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if Dougie's willing to do, like, between 7 and 8 before the start of the season, I think they got to do it, right? And 
but in all likelihood it's probably going to be north of eight and you're you know if you're the hurricanes you understand that hey before we do this before we commit 60 to 70 million dollars over a long-term contract let's just see how he looks at the start of the year let's give it a few weeks see if he's you know he looks like like the same guy and if he doesn't i think you're more than willing to to go ahead and do it yeah because yeah, i think what you're saying the, brett is a safe bet especially with leg injuries leg injuries are so unpredictable like is the serious he injury he suffered yeah yeah so it's it'll definitely be interesting to like get some time but a thing i just quickly was looking at i just want to jump in if you take the seven buyout money slap it on top of dougie's already current contract you have a you have a little over eight million already right there so mm-hmm. in reality if he's not far off pietro it's like the hurricanes would be kind of like in a similar state as if dougie was already making eight million yeah look at you modern problems require modern solutions good job <laughs> the one other thing to consider so dougie this past June turned 27, which means before that next contract started, he would turn 28. So an eight-year deal, at the end of an eight-year deal, he would be 35, mm-hmm. which plenty of examples of defensemen playing well um, into the later ages. And I think he's a player that, you know, he doesn't play a really physical game. So, and especially with, him making a lot of his living on the power play, like his production could be sustainable into the late age. So I'm not necessarily saying he would decline big time. It's just something to keep in mind. And, you know, eight years in the future, I think you're looking at a much higher cap and you're, you're looking at a different financial landscape in the NHL. I'd imagine that, you know, eight years from now, I mean, there, I I think defensemen are going to be making, like the the top tier ones are going to be making into ten million dollars and, and above by that point. So, um, but that's obviously just a, just a guess. So, either that or the world ended. Yeah, that's also. I mean, that's right up in the running. Um, it might be more likely that the world is ending than Dougie Hamilton sees the end of that contract. There's a. It's well within the realm of possibility. It, it's on the table. It's it's the betting <laughs> odds are rising uh, or they're improving day by day yeah okay that's enough of that i think that's a podcast so thank you for listening to the king's country podcast um it was good to be back and talking about hockey and all the things that could happen um guys where can the people follow you on twitter we can start with andrew at a-s-c-h-n-i-t-t-5-3 and ryan at R-Y-A-N-H-E-N-K-E-L underscore. You can follow me at Brett underscore Finger. You can follow Kane's Country at Kane's Country on Twitter. Follow along on Facebook, Instagram, Kane's Country Picks, P-I-X. Uh, read all the things on the site. That's constantly, you know, things are still happening out there and it is being recapped and analyzed on Kane'sCountry.com. Be sure to read all of that. Uh, be sure to follow slash subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can listen to the Canes Country podcast. Uh, leave a review, rate the podcast. It helps us out a lot. And with that, we will talk to you next week. And who knows what's going to happen? Maybe Kemper will be a hurricane. Maybe Dougie will have an eight-year contract signed. Who knows? Maybe the unthinkable will happen and Nikolai Ehlers will be a hurricane. Oh, my gosh. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.